you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. just want to start out by saying I'm so thankful to be here today. It has been a while since I have had the privilege and the honor to fill this pulpit. And uh, I'm going to throw back, if you will, and I'm going to pull a Matt Monday and I'm going to take my coat off. <laughs> because we still haven't uh, added the air vent directly under the pulpit. And uh, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. If you found Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> I have, I wrestled with what it was that I needed to speak on today. And there's a lot going on in our lives. There's a lot going on in our world. There is... 2020 has been interesting to say the least. We have, uh, we've all learned new skills. I have a greater appreciation for our teachers as school has started back and it has been tasked to me to teach our, young, our oldest, not our youngest. He's not ready. And so, but so I've had to redo uh, the second grade thus far. And uh, I haven't forgotten most of it, which is good. I'm glad, uh, to be honest, I'm glad that my, my son is young because if he was in middle school or high school, he, would, he wouldn't make it. it <laughs> once we get about third grade math, I'm, I'm done with math. Basic addition, subtraction, multiplication, maybe up to 10. And then, well... So we've all learned uh, quite a, a lot about ourselves, and, and, and we've had quite uh, a few things uh, go wrong in 2020. And uh, do I think, <clears throat> you know, am I here to speak on 2020? No, I'm not. I'm here, I'm here to speak on Christ. I'm here to remind us that the Bible has not left us to our own devices, and the Bible has not left us to be... Um, just wrought to and fro with whatever change comes our way. The Bible has, that the God has given us everything that we need in his word to navigate the life that he has placed us in. And I think that far too often we are, we see the, the struggles of life, the, the storms of life, and we, we are scared because they seem to loom larger but I had a pastor friend once tell me that I do not need to be concerned about tomorrow because I know the one who holds tomorrow. And he wrecked me when he said it, and I just, I, I, that has never left because I, it, it is true. It, is, it reminds me of the fact that when all else fails and all else seems to be out of control, that our God is not. Our God is not shaken. He is not scared. He is not caught off guard or unaware of our situation. In fact, it says that he is using our situations to groom us and to grow us into the believers that he would have us, that you cannot have a mature walk with Jesus without the trials and the struggles and the tribulation because it is in the trials and the struggles and the tribulation that true faith is made and groomed. It is in 
the struggle that we find peace. It is in the word of God that we can be reminded, like Job. Job was the first book of the Bible that was actually written down. It wasn't the first book, obviously Genesis in the beginning. That's probably where it started. But Job was the first one that was written down. It is the oldest book that we have. And Job is a story of a man that is living his best life and everything is going perfectly as planned. I'm kidding. If you've never read the book of Job, Job uh, is having it rough. He's having a bad season of life. Well, how do we know that? Well, it starts off by the devil coming to, to God and saying that Job only praises you because you've given him everything that he could ever ask for. Job was the richest man on the planet at this point. He had everything that anybody could ever want and then some. And the Lord said, fine, take it away from him. So he took all of his things away from him and, 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 and yet still Job praised God. And the devil goes back and says, well, you haven't taken everything from him because he still has his health. And he said, fine, take his health from him. And yet he still praised God. And now we do, I don't, don't get, you know, don't look to Job for your rescue because Job spends a vast majority of his book whining about his situation. So don't pretend that Job is out here being a super stellar believer. No, he whines for, to the point where God looks at him and says, where were you when I made everything? Who are you to talk to me? And Job then stopped talking. And so, but yet in the middle of all of his struggles and all of his trials and tribulations, in, in Job 19 and 25, it tells us that he says, though my flesh may fail and the very thing that I fear the most has befallen me, yet I know that my Redeemer lives. How interesting is it that in the oldest recorded book of the Bible that we have, has the words and the phrase to remind us that when all hope seems lost, we can say, yet I know that my Redeemer lives. That there is hope there. There is peace there. There is comfort there for those of us that are in Christ. And so if you found the book of Ephesians, beginning, we're going to, hang with me, we're going to read the entire chapter. Luckily, it's a New Testament book, so it's short. And so... It's not like the Old Testament where a chapter might be, say, Psalm 119, might be 170 some odd verses long. But uh, if you would, will you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? <clears throat> Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. <clears throat> For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, right, remember, when you see us, therefore, what do you ask? 
What is it there for? So you go back and see. And he comes out of that and he says, Therefore remember this, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which was made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of God. Thank you. You may be seated. If you know me, then you know that I have a tendency to be long-winded. So I have to keep my passages really short. Well, I opted to not do that today. I promise I will not be here. for Because I could literally spend, who knows, four and five and six weeks walking through this one chapter. Because there is so much here that we need to be reminded of. And so before we get to our main focus... I want to quickly sum up Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 into one block. This is one of the most precise uh, examples of and examinations of the gospel in the New Testament, in the Bible. It says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We are following the courses of the world. We are following the children of the air. We, are the, the, we were working with the spirit in the sons of disobedience. It says in verse 3 that we lived out the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. And by nature, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is where we all started. And where the vast majority of our world lives today dead in their trespasses and sins. But Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And so he wants to remind the church that you used to be children of wrath. You used to walk in disobedience. But now, because of, in verse 4, one of the greatest but statements in the Bible, but God being rich in mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Being rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for us. Even when we are dead, we're dead. He made us alive in Christ. Every time that in the scripture we see and we hear about our identity being changed, being awakened from sleep or being brought from life into death, from darkness into light, if you're listening to Pastor Kevin on Wednesday night, says he's walking through the book of Colossians in verse th- <coughs> excuse me, 12 and 13 and 14, when he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light. Whenever we see this transformation, this, this, this change in us, it is always 100% of the time married to in Christ. So you cannot have salvation apart from Jesus. You cannot talk about salvation apart from Jesus because our salvation is intricately 
and intimately connected to our union with Christ. And which means that salvation, if, if you were able to tune in when I, last time I spoke in, um, <clears throat> on Wednesday night, I spoke on the, the entire facet of the gospel, that the gospel is what saved us, it justified us before the Father. At one point in time, when I was forgiven of my sins fully, I was justified before God, but that is not the end. Instead, the gospel justified me, but the gospel also sanctifies me. The gospel is making me into the image of Christ, which lasts from the moment of conversion until the moment of death. I am being transformed into the image of God. And so the gospel work is not done in the moment of salvation. It is the same gospel that continues to save throughout life and ultimately will save us permanently and and 100% completely when we are glorified. Right? Romans 8 tells us that those whom he justified, he will glorify. It is not a uh, if-then statement. It is those whom I saved, I will bring home. And so he, we need to be reminded <clears throat> that the gospel, the gospel does not end. It is not only the entry point. It is the path and it is the destination. So we cannot be or move past the gospel, which is why in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I have decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified, which is an idiom for the gospel. I have decided to know nothing among you except the gospel. In Colossians, uh, in, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, it says that these things I delivered to you of first importance, that which we also received. And then what does he talk about? The gospel. Which means the implication of the gospel is simple. What do we take away from the gospel? That the gospel will be with you from the moment you are converted until the moment you see him. You do not move past the gospel. We cannot act outside of the gospel. That everything that we do as individuals, as families, as believers, and as the church universal has to run through the gospel. <clears throat> the reason we are in the state that we are in is because for far too long now, we have tried to do life apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking nationalistically or anything like that, for we cannot expect non-Christian nations around the world to make Christian decisions. I'm speaking to those of us who have been saved. We have dropped the ball. Lost people are acting lost. Does that shock anybody? You cannot expect someone to act like something he is not. Lost people are going to act lost. They stay lost unless they encounter the gospel. Those of us who have been saved have the gospel, but we have done the very thing that God has commanded us not to do, which is to hold it for ourselves, to use it, to speak highly of it. We love the gospel. We, we, we love the Bible. We love to sing songs that tell us the truth of God. But that is as far as we let it go now. But those of us who were children of wrath like the rest of mankind, it says, but God loved us and gave us new life in Christ. By grace you have been saved. It is a gift of God. The faith that we have is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that you and I cannot boast. 
I did nothing for my salvation except bring the sin I needed saving from. That is the only thing that I contributed to my salvation was the sin. God made the way. He took the way. He secured the way. And he brought me into the way. He is holding me on that path and he will bring me the rest of the way. And so, Christian, do not lose heart for you are not in control. Which is good. It's a good thing that you and I are not in control. Because if I was in control, the wheels would have come off long ago. And I know that I'm only here and I only am what I am because of the grace of God. The unmerited favor that was shown to me. I didn't earn it. I do not deserve it. But he loves me anyway. That while I was dead in my trespasses, he made me alive in Christ. This is what Ephesians 2 starts with. It reminds you before we can get to the rest of the chapter, which is so so perfectly fitted to our current situation, before he tells us about that, he has to remind us of the gospel. Because everything that I say, henceforth, has to be filtered through the gospel. Because if not, it will not bring life. If not, it will not bring change. And if not, it will not bring the power of God himself. There are three things that happen in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. If you're taking notes, here is the main idea, okay? That those who were once alienated from God have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. That's the, the overall main point. Those who were once alienated from God have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. And the sub-point underneath it, or the application point, if you will, is that because of this fact, it's not because of this opinion, or because of, because of this fact that those who were once alienated and hostile to God have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus, the application point is that God reconciles us to Him and us to each other. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot be reconciled to God and alienated from His people. That is not how this works. And so the point is this. Gospel, the gospel breaks down walls of division and hostility. The gospel is not a gospel of war. It is not a gospel of whatever else. It is a gospel of peace. It is a gospel of reconciliation to Jesus Christ. To God through Jesus Christ. And so first we need, to, we need to look at point one, which is the alienated. Those of us who were alienated. That Let's look at verses 11 and 12 when it says, Therefore remember that at one time, one time you Gentiles, Gentiles are, is real simple. It's anyone that's not a Jew. Okay, So when you look at the Bible, you have two categories of people. You have Jew and Gentile. You know who that covers? Everyone. Okay, Because it is written to Christ was a Jew. When he came, he followed the course of the law. Right? He now would be... Conf There's people that are, are Messianic Jews that still support Jewish culture, but they are 
messianic in that they believe that Christ is the Messiah. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. But what we see is that the Bible was written to Jews, to the people of God, and then to the world, to Gentiles, after Peter preached the first sermon at Pentecost and after 3,000 came into the church, what happened? Peter and the apostles started to minister to who? The Jews, their own people. But Paul came along and said, my task, Christ has given me the task of not preaching to the Jews, but instead preaching to the Gentiles. And so we see that all of mankind can be categorized between Jew and Gentile. So keep that in mind when it says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh Right? Called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. These are Old Testament references. The Jews were set apart by circumcision from the rest of the nations. And so Gentiles would be called the uncircumcised. They were not a pe- part of the people of God in the religious sense. But instead, we need to remember in verse 12 that we at one time were separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That is the nation of Israel, the Jews. We were alienated and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That alienated. We who were once alienated. What does it mean to be alienated? It means to be cut off. It means to be separated from that. We are not a part of whatever it is. Right? Alienated. That we do not belong to this group. We were once alienated. What does that mean? It means we once were, but now we are not. Right? Then we were also foreigners. We were strangers in the land. We were were not a part, again, of the situation. And we were hopeless and godless. In verse 12. But what has happened? What has Christ done? But now in Christ Jesus, verse 13 says, You who were once far off have been brought near. In verse 14 it says, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It goes on to say in verse 17 that he preached peace to those who were far off, which would be who? The Gentiles, and to those who were near. Right? You can't lose this picture. It keeps the picture that the Gentiles were far off, the Jews were near. How were they near? They were near because they already had the Word of God. They already had communion with God through the Old Testament. They had access to the Messiah before we did. And because of the, the, the depth of depravity and sin, so many Jews read the entirety of the Old Testament and fail to see Jesus. Except in Luke chapter 24, when the two travelers were on the road to Emmaus, Jesus walked beside them, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he showed how all things concern him. So what does that mean? That means that Jesus walked with these two travelers on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus the whole time explaining how all of their Bible, the Old Testament, is about Christ. So we, as believers on this side of the cross, understand that this entire book is about Jesus. But there are far too many that don't. But we who were once far off, he preached peace to us. He also preached peace to those who were near. And it says that he broke down the wall of hostility, that he is taking two men and making them one. 
that he is taking those of us, right, in John chapter 10 when he tells his disciples that I have come to take, get the sheep, and there are sheep that are not of this fold. I have sheep to get that are not inside of Israel, and I have to come get them too. You know who that is? That's us. He came to get us and to bring us into true Israel, which is the people of God. That we are Israel, that we are the people of God by what? By Jesus Christ. No longer does it have to deal with the commonwealth of Israel. No longer is it about nationalities and these things. It is about one thing and one thing only. It is about those of us who have been brought near to God by Jesus. So the first point was alienation. We were this. And then there was reconciliation. He has brought us near. And then it was identification in the last few verses in 19, 20, 21, and 22 where it says what? That we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And not only that, we are also members of the household of God. Earlier in Ephesians, it says those of us who God has saved, he has given the right to become sons and daughters. So not only are we just a part of the citizenship of the kingdom of God, we are his family. We are children of God. And not only that, we are being built upon Christ, the cornerstone and the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, the word of God. Those who have gone before, we are being built up into a temple of God. That not only are we citizens of the kingdom of God, not only are we family members of the family of God, but we are also stones in the temple of God. That we, what is the temple of God? The temple of God is where his presence would live in the Old Testament. It's where they worshiped. We are the stones of which Christ is the cornerstone. Those who have come before are continuing to lay the foundation and God is building himself a house of worship. We are a part of this house of worship, which is why in Revelation it says that when we gather around the throne that there will be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation singing praise to God that our the throne of God will not be monochromatic. It will not be a bunch of white people. It will be people of all colors and all nations and all time committed to the gospel and flowing out worship, praise to God for eternity. We forget that it is not about us. It is about Jesus. And it has been about Jesus since the beginning. It is not going to change because it will be about Jesus when time ends. Because let me explain to you how this works. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which means that before the beginning, there was just God. He existed in perfect unity with himself outside. There was no time. There was no space. There was God. And so in the beginning marks the beginning of time. When that happened, time started. And so we, we would follow the linear path until Christ comes back and ushers in eternity. And what does that mean? He ushers in the end of time. Time will cease, which I know is hard for us to wrap our minds around because we, everything that we have is built off of time. But I do know that God who existed before time still exists after time. The only difference is, is that he will be with people of every tribe and tongue and nation that he created to praise him and worship him to eternity, to infinity. I don't know what that looks like. That's a whole nother talk. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what we're going to do. All I know is that we will be with Christ. The object 
of our faith, the prize of our faith. We need to be reminded and remember that we get Jesus. That is the goal. It's not the streets of gold. It's not being reunited with family as much as we miss those that have gone before. Yes, will it be nice? But it will only be nice because we will all be there praising Christ. My dad does not care about seeing me when I get to heaven. Except he might take me to go see Jesus. Because we know that when we close our eyes in this life, we open them and the first thing that we see is the one who died. Yes, we get to meet all those who have gone before. We can talk to David and to Paul. We can talk to to Adam and we can talk to Charles Spurgeon and we can talk to whoever you want to talk to. But you know what you're going to be talking about? Jesus. Right? If we, I would love to hear from somebody like Charles Spurgeon who, who preached millions of sermons in his life and who, who shaped the very fabric of who we are as Baptists. But I know what he's going to tell me. He's going to tell me about Jesus. He's going to tell me about how God saved him. And praise be to God. He might, I might get to, to, to hear about a sermon he preached or I might get to hear about this thing or that thing, but everything will be couched in, pointed to, and leading us towards exaltation of God in Christ. We have to understand that that is the truth. We who were once far off have been brought near, reconciled to God, and we are now identified by nothing save Jesus. Everything that I am is Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that I live perfectly. It doesn't mean that we don't have nuances and different things that we talk about. That's not what this means. It just means that the goal terminates on Jesus, which means that everything that I do as an individual believer and as a man terminates to and goes through Christ. Everything that we do as individual families of believers has to go through and terminate on Christ as a body, specific body at Hepzibah Baptist Church has to terminate and go through on Jesus. Everything has to be about Him. And not just that, but the church universal, the church big C is about Jesus. So when churches in China and Africa and South America and Europe gather, true churches gather under one banner, the banner of Christ. Those, all these churches in Johnston County that are meeting right now, we all are gathered and brought near to the throne of God by one person, the person of Jesus. But what have we done with that? Instead of uniting ourselves in one mission, please tell me in the Bible where he gives us, Baptists, one mission, and he gives the Methodists a different mission, and he gives the Presbyterians a different mission, and he gives the whoever else you want to a different mission. Please tell me where that is in the Bible. You're not going to find it. Instead, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, plural, to do, and I will be with you until the end. We, followers of Christ, who are very different, we are not the same. 
We don't have to be identical. We are not robots or clones. Instead, we, in all of our diversity and beauty that we see that God is after, because he is gathering people from everywhere unto himself, means God likes diversity. People who are different and look different and act different. He is bringing all of those people together, making them into one church, and then sending them out as a force to be reckoned with where he tells Peter that the gates of hell will not prevail against me. I have already won. We are on the winning team. We are victorious. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. God has not more to do save bring his people home. He has already accomplished everything that he is meant to accomplish when Christ died in our place. He gave up his only son so that us who were far off might be brought near and then he left us here to tell others about him. He left us here to bring more people because the scripture tells us that God desires to see people saved. He desires to see men and women and boys and girls brought near to him through Jesus. That is what he desires. If salvation was just about you, then he would have killed you the second he saved you to take you home. Because how merciless would a God have to be to leave us in the world that we are in if the goal was your salvation? The goal was not my salvation. The goal was to bring all peoples from every tribe and tongue and nation under the throne of God. And he left me here as a privilege to me that I might tell others about him. You are still here because God is not done with you. Because I know that God loves us. He loves us so much that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Romans 8, the wonderful chapter that reminds us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, goes on to say that I submit that nothing can separate us from God. The God that loves us with that kind of love wants us to be with him. And if the goal was, if that was the only goal, then in his mercy, after he saved you, he would bring you home. But he didn't. He left us here that we might be lights in the darkness, that we might be the city on a hill, that we might go into the fray just like Christ, knowing that we already have the victory. So we don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear persecution. We don't need to fear any of it because we have already won. We have already been claimed the victory in Jesus. The worst they can do to you is send you where you want to go. That is why we can take the gospel into the deepest, darkest places on the planet because the only thing that they can do to me is send me where I want to go anyway. Where Paul says, I desire and wish to die and be with Jesus, for it is far better. He said, but instead I stay here for your sake. I am here that God may use me, that God may use you, that others may see the goodness of Jesus, might be reconciled to him, made to be in his image, uh, in part of his family, to be adopted as a son or a daughter, so that when our time ends, they may join us in glory.
we have forgotten our identity. We have forgotten our purpose. And instead of focusing on Jesus, we have focused on far lesser things. Our country is broken. And so I'm going to land this plane. I'm going to apply this here. You know, we like different things, don't we? Some people in this room like different shades of blue. There's a darker blue shade and a lighter blue shade. And never the twain shall mix. I have a friend that I played golf with that won't even wear the color of the sky. Doesn't matter if it's got the NC on it. He won't even wear the color. They have tainted it. You have those that bleed red, right? You have those like me who bleed black and gold. There's only a few of us out there. If we went around the room, we have those of us that would be Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Anarchist. I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> if, if you're an anarchist, please come talk to me. I have a situation that I would like to talk to you about. We have people that prefer PCs and people that prefer Macs. We have people that like Coke and people that like Pepsi. Right? We have people that if you're in Alabama, it's Alabama or it's Auburn. That's it. It's either Georgia I'm sorry, Kevin. I don't know who Georgia's rival is, but it's Georgia or not Georgia. I don't know. Rivalries exist. They are everywhere. Is there anything wrong with that? No. There's nothing wrong with loving. Because here's the thing. I guarantee you, you might not like Duke or Carolina, but you tune in for the Battle of the Blues. Why? Because we've hyped it up into this thing. It's fun to watch. Right? If you're a baseball fan, then you don't like the Yankees. I don't, there's, you either do or you don't. Most don't. Right? If you're a Yankees fan, you don't like the Red Sox. Right? There's rivalries everywhere. And there's nothing wrong with those kind of rivalries. Those are easy things. Yes, we can have a discussion about how Pepsi is better than Coke or Coke is better than Pepsi. Maybe it's not even about Coke and Pepsi. Maybe it's about the other sodas that are in that family that you only get if you go with that one family. Right? Like, I prefer Coke to Pepsi, but I prefer Mountain Dew and Dr. Pepper and Cheerwine to anything else. And so I got to go with Pepsi because that's where they come from. Right? We have these things that, that divide us, but those are silly things. I don't know that, are y'all not friends with people because they drink Coke? If you're that, please come talk to me with the anarchists so that we can talk about, like, I think you have a priority problem. Like, that's not something to get riled up about. But the problem has been that we have now taken the, the, the preferences and the things that we like or think, and we have now applied them to everything. And our country, our world is divided. So I'm just going to be, I'm going to say this with all the love I can muster in Christ, but you cannot be a Christian and racist. You can't. You cannot be a Christian and think that you were better than anyone else. Charles Spurgeon said, if anybody thinks ill of you, don't correct him because you're far worse than he knows. 
And that is true. Paul said many times, he, he said and thought, he, he, he said, I am the chief of sinners. Well, that can't be true because I'm the chief of sinners. It can't be true because you're the chief of sinners. Because there is God's children and not. There's nothing in between. So you are either haters of God, like Romans tells us, those who do not and are not saved hate God. They exalt self. Or you are a lover of God who is part of the family of God, who has been adopted by God. There is no in-between. And we have already established that Christ has come to save all peoples. So who are you to say that you are better than anyone else? Who am I? Now, that can go into many different areas in the world today. I'm not going to go there. I think you get my point. I chose racism because this is what it was about in the text. Gentiles and Jews. It was cultural divide. But lest we forget, it says Christ has taken two men and made them into one by the blood of Jesus. Which means that the African American church the white church, the Hispanic church, the Asian church, those do not exist. You are either a church or you are not. Now, we might be a church that is predominantly one race, but it does not matter because the church is a multi-generational, multi-ethnic body. It is made up of millions of people that look nothing like me. And we are brothers and sisters brought together by Jesus. We don't have a special place in God's heart. We are not the top. They are not the top. No one is above anyone else. There is God and there is man. His people, we are all part of the same family. You can take that and apply it to politics. You can apply it to, 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 to health care and to, and to military. And you can apply it to whatever you want to. But all I know is that we as Christians have been caught in the middle. And we as Christians have started to pick sides. Instead of the only side that you are allowed to pick, Christ. That is the side. That's whose side you were on. You were on God's side. And so if God speaks against something, then we speak against something. If God doesn't speak in it, speak on it, then we hush. Because who am I to speak on something that God has chosen not to speak on? All I know is what God has told me. All that I need to know is what God has told me in the text. And so I take the text of the Bible and I apply it personally and corporately as best that I can, knowing that I will get it wrong, but knowing that it is all held by Jesus. That I do not need to fear who is here or who is there, who's in charge and who is not, because God is in charge. That has not changed. 
It doesn't matter whether you like the person in the White House or not. The Bible tells us what to do, that we are to pray for him. That is not an option. It doesn't matter if you think we should be at war or not. We are to be agents of peace, the gospel of peace. Does that mean you cannot fight for your country? No, that is not what that means. We would not be here today without those that fought and died for our country. But it is not something to divide people on because we all are children of God. The church does not get the option of drawing sides except God's side. That is the side we pick. Which means that unless the other person is diametrically opposed to you, that he stands in the way of God, then we should be trying to reconcile him to God. Not furthering, furthering the divide. We as a church have got to refocus. The reason we are where we are today is because the world is broken. It's broken. We do not need to convince anybody of that. It is broken. We didn't break it. But we were broken too. The only difference between us and those that have yet to accept Christ was that Christ saved us. We are still busted. We just have grace. And it should be our desire that that other person on the other side of whatever fence we're on might be saved. How can we do that if we divide ourselves about things that do not matter? Because of my opinions on certain things, I may now not get the opportunity to preach the gospel to someone on things that are lesser things that do not matter. And if we do have to talk about things, which we do, the things that we have to deal with in our world today need to be addressed. They need to be addressed by believers, but they need to be addressed by believers as Christ would address them, which is full of grace and truth and peace. Please tell me where God attacked. Please tell me in the Bible. I, we can wait if you would like. Not really because we've got to go. But <laughs> please show me in the text where Christ was hostile to those that were far from God. You're not going to find it. Do you know who he was hostile with? Christians. The church. Those of us that thought we had it all figured out. Those are the ones that Jesus got in a tussle with. You know what he did with lost people? He took care of their needs, and he said, go and sin no more. We have to take care of the needs, point them to Jesus. And if God, by his mercy, saves them, we accept them into the family of God. Knowing that it is not up to us to bring about their salvation, it is up to God. The only thing I have been asked to do is to open my mouth and talk. I cannot save anyone. I am not the Holy Spirit. All I can do is speak truth, point to his word, and let God do what God does, which is save people. Church, we have lost our focus. We have taken our eyes off of Jesus. We have allowed lesser things to divide the people of God. Do you know why there's so many denominations? Because we argued about things that were not essential and we split. Now, there are things that are essential. We cannot be in fellowship together if you do not believe that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one in three person. 
We cannot be in fellowship together if you do not believe that Christ is the Son of God, 100% man and 100% God simultaneously. That salvation comes through Christ alone. These are essential things. This is the gospel. That is the essential. Whether or not you baptize babies is not worth arguing about. I can't get on that train, but that doesn't mean I hate you if you're on that train. I love my Presbyterian friends. Right? I just can't land, I can't land there with you. But I know that you're my brother and my sister, and let's work together to save, to, to, to tell the gospel, to show the world who Jesus is. But unless they are calling us to act in a way contrary to the word of God and the command of God, stop dividing ourselves over things that do not matter in the end. Because you know what matters in the end? Jesus. He is what it matters. He is what it all is about. The gospel forces us, kills hostility, breaks down dividing walls because we all were dead in our trespasses and those of us who have been saved all came through the same door to the same place in the same family under the same God. We are not different. And maybe the world might listen to or at least be more apt to listen to what we would say or what we might have to say if we weren't so divided over things that don't matter. Maybe not. I don't know. Because sin is real. Sin has consumed everything. And so it makes it hard. Because you might be the most wonderful person on the planet. They still don't want what you got. Unless God is saving them. Because here's the deal. I didn't want it until God came and got me. And now I don't want to put it back. I can't put it back, but I don't want to. People don't want what you got. John tells us, Jesus told his disciples in 15, they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Don't be shocked. But you know what you do? You stand there in grace and truth and peace and you love them anyway because you were no different than them. Just because they might sin differently than you do, they might look differently than you do, you were at the same place that they were, and God was merciful to you, so how dare us not be merciful to them? You know why we are able to love? Because God first loved us. Do you know why we, were able, why we are able to show grace and mercy? Because we were shown grace and mercy. It's time that the church gets off of its high horse and remembers that we are here, that others might hear the name of Jesus. What do we do? Why are we gathered? We're gathered to get all hyped up on Jesus and go tell somebody about him. We're not here for you. We're here for him. When we gather in worship, we are gathering in worship because we want to sing praise to the God that saved us. We want to pray and see and be with his people. That's why we're here, for him. The church gathers and then the church scatters, taking the gospel of Jesus with them. Why do you think the church hasn't been defeated? Because persecution spread to church and they took the gospel with them. They didn't need Jerusalem. They needed Jesus. And they already had him, so he went with him. And somewhere along the way, and I'm not saying America, because it's, it's not about us. Somewhere along the way, the church devoted its time to lesser things. And we're playing with real stakes here. We are playing for people's souls. 
I do not care who you voted for. I do not care what you look like. My only concern is do you know Jesus? Because he is coming. And I would much rather you bow down with me as a child of God than bow down to him as a subject and object of his wrath. Because the wrath of God is very real and the wrath of God is coming against all unrighteousness. And we will, it tells us in Philippians 2, when it talks about how Christ set aside everything and humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, in verse 9 it says, Therefore God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is coming a day when everyone will bow before Jesus. It is not whether or not they believe in him does not matter. They will stand before God. You and I have what they need to stand before him as a child instead of as an object of wrath. You and I have what they need where they can be ushered into the kingdom as children or banished away from God for eternity. It's time the church stops focusing on itself, stops being part of the problem, and instead offers up Christ to everyone who will listen. We break down the dividing walls of hostility and division because we are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. That is the only way to God, which means that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There is no distinguishing difference between believers. We are all part of Christ. And so the church today, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to sing. Pastor Joe is going to come and stand. The altar is open. The challenge, the application is real simple. Have you allowed lesser things to captivate your soul? If it has, today repent and be captivated by Jesus. He is the only thing worthy of your attention. And remember that when you go and when you speak and when you post online and when you speak in conversation, you are speaking not just as yourself, but as an ambassador of Christ. So funnel everything through the gospel. If if your mind has been, if your vision, if you've been distracted by lesser things, today is the day to turn your eyes back to Christ. God, you are good. You are mighty, and I pray, I pray, God, that you turn our eyes to Christ, that you remind us that we were saved by your mercy and grace, not of anything that we had done, but all because of Christ. So, God, I pray that you help us to not be distracted by lesser things, that you help us to not be agents of hostility and division, but you help us to be agents of peace in the gospel. God, help us to be bold because we are victorious already that we might share Christ in all things, that we might let you be God, stop trying to control and obey. Remember that we belong to you in Christ, that we all came through the same door, that we all have wildly different experiences, but that we are unified by the blood of Jesus.
Help us to be agents of unity instead of agents of chaos. Help us to be agents of peace. God, we praise you. We ask all this in the name of Christ.